You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. Your weekly look at movies, video games, and more brought to you by your hosts, A. Scully and Sitor. We're addicted to movies. Are you? Welcome to After The Show. Hello, listeners. Uh, hello to you as well, Sitor. Hello, bold. You're feeling bold today. Bold? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, after seeing this movie, it makes you feel bold. Does it, though? I think it, I think it does. <laughs> well, I would like an explanation <laughs> for that. Well, that I'll give you one. seems interesting, okay. During the main text of this uh, <laughs> podcast. Before the after the show was just talking about this movie. Talking about this movie, talking about the heater. That was interesting. Oh, true, true. The uh, air conditioning temperatures. Interesting is a bit of an exaggeration, but we'll take it. Yeah, true. All right, so it's Saturday, January the 28th. This is After the Show. We're a movie review podcast. And on episode 772, we're going to look at the movie The Fablemans. It's a 2022 release. You can get it now on streaming. It's PG-13. Our friends at Universal sent us a code. Sitar, give us the synopsis of the movie, The Fablemans. A fabled version of Steven Spielberg's life. So a family with troubles and a kid becoming a filmmaker. Here's the one that you'll find on the box. It says, growing up in post-World War II era Arizona, young Sammy Fableman aspires to be a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of film can help him see the truth. Like I said. So, The Fablemans, it's uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. It's nominated for seven Oscars. Sid Talk, what did you think of it? I loved it. The end? And the end, as we love to say. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I feel like it was, I'll be honest, when we first started, I was like, am I in the mood for this today? Like this kind of biopic-ish, but it's not, right? We're not really telling Steven Spielberg's whole life story. It just, I felt like I was in the mood of, for big action or something. And then I was like, okay, just get over that. And then whenever I'm in that mood and then I really enjoy something, I feel like it won me over. So it must have been really good. This is unique. Like you say, it is talking about Steven Spielberg's life, but it's not straight on because he's using characters that are not him. Has that been done before? Is that, is that a trope? I think that is, yeah. Like making your own life story, but telling it through other characters? I believe so. So that's what he's doing here. And it covers, it doesn't cover all of Spielberg's life. It covers up to him. Well, it doesn't even cover up to him becoming a filmmaker, does it? Because nope. he isn't a filmmaker in the final frame of this. Graduates movie. from high school and a year later, he's been in college for a year, not happy with college. And that's where we, that's yeah. where we leave him. Yeah. There could be a Fableman's too, Electric Boogaloo with the rest of his life. But yeah, it's mostly the early years. And there's a lot of things I didn't know about him. Were you surprised? I feel like it's partially, it's mostly fictionalized versions of reality. So I have no uh, expectation of any of it being accurate. Well, I did go and read interviews with Spielberg and what is accurate, what isn't accurate. And turns out a lot of it is accurate. Right. I mean, it's accurate as in this event happened to him, but this isn't an actual like camera that was sitting in the moment 
to no, it's not a documentary, right? So, well, even a documentary is not there at the moment, is it? Of a thing, maybe, but so I still have to take it as a fictional interpretation, even by the man himself, of an event or a conversation. Yeah, from what I could read on history versus Hollywood, well, there wasn't anything that they pointed out that was like untrue completely. So. I don't really think I'm talking about untruths. I'm talking about like the conversation he would have had with the young woman that he dated in high school who's kind of a Jesus freak and that's the way it's, she's played. You know, that's the way she's d- displayed to us. We weren't there and I don't, we don't know how cartoony she is or how her wall really looked covered with pictures of Jesus and the hottest boys of the time. Like we don't know. So that could be a very cartoony version of that. So that's not real reality, is well, it? Well, the thing um, that I found most genuine and real and i did fact check it and it is real and it's a big surprise you know spoilers about this movie steven spielberg's life (laughs) but the big thing that really got me was the fact that film you know he's growing up making films you know with his friends and stuff and he makes a video of him and his family camping and when he's editing the video of his family camping he sees that his mother is cheating Well, Well, his mother's fallen in love with somebody else, let me say. Correct. And you can clearly see it. And he gets to sit and watch it over and over and over and then sit with this secret, like for a while that he can't, he's like, what do I, you know, I don't know what to do with it. Like, and that is a true thing. And that being a thing in a filmmaker's life is really poignant in some way. Sure. And it really made me, it really made me, I was like, you know, on the edge when he was, looking at that film, when it's this passion that he's got, but then he can see his family being destroyed and he, he feels let down by everybody. You know, I got all that from this actor in here. Yeah, definitely. And I think this movie is really emotional. I can, I read that Spielberg was often breaking down a bit behind the camera while he was filming it. And it's so personal, like a lot of the things. I mean, you would, it, you would wouldn't you? If you decide, you know, you had to film, even if it is cartoonish or whatever, moments of your life that you remember the real thing as you're filming it, it's got to choke you up, you know, because his parents have gone. True. And here he's dealing with memories of his parents when he was young. Just like looking through an old photo album, except you're recreating the photo album with fake pictures. And even that is like (laughs) a meta thing, isn't it, for like a filmmaker to go talking about like you making films when you were young with your family and a secret is exposed through the medium of film. And you know, it's all, it's all very, I don't know. It had me well up a little bit. Well, I was going to say you're very, uh, <laughs> this is very emotional. I found it very poignant. You. I found it very funny, actually very, very funny. It's, it's almost comedy in parts, right? Sure. But then life is too. The last five minutes of the movie is just like, the most feel-good thing I've ever had in, <laughs> in movies for a while. And that's to do with me, because I'm a big fan of David Lynch, who's in the end scene. It's hilarious. It's poignant. It's funny. And I didn't know that Spielberg's life, I didn't... I've never really thought about it. I've just thought... Charming. S- Steven Spielberg <laughs> makes excellent movies that I generally enjoy. Did you and think he just came out of a pod somewhere and just started making movies? I did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like on the uh, She-Hulk, where, they, <laughs> yeah. where there's like an AI writing all the Marvel movies at the end. Was it called? So it's you think been, Steven Spielberg was spit out by an AI and just started making movies? And what would be the first one then? AI. <laughs> that wasn't the first one. 
Oh, so the real Steven Spielberg has been disposed of, and now we have, I get it. This is a whole other movie about his, the rest of his life becoming yeah. an AI. Okay. We just figured it out. Woo! We I love figured that. it out. It's like a, um, you know, onion, glass onion. <laughs> Wrong movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Still movie theme. <laughs> so anything, uh, cinematography I loved. This movie was shot during COVID. You wouldn't know it. There's no, not like last week's movie, where they kind of make it a point. I love movies that are period. I was really looking for unperiod things in this movie. Were and it's very hard to spot anything. Yeah, you know when whenever a movie like this does a street shot, for instance, she goes after a tornado. She goes driving in a car. And she drives down a street and down another street and down another street. So that had to be kind of big budgety. Sure. And I didn't spot anything, you know, I did. I was looking, is there a ring doorbell? Is there a, you know, things from our... Nope, it's very accurate. And somebody really painstakingly removed everything. So I was into that. One thing that I thought of it during this movie was how Paul Thomas Anderson must be inspired by Spielberg or maybe later Spielberg is inspired by Paul Thomas Anderson because there are shots that I see that are similar okay the scene in the office at the end with david lynch was very paul thomas anderson the dialogue was the way it was framed i kept seeing paul thomas anderson stuff especially like his later work did you see that no it's probably the other way around it's probably (laughs) you reckon (laughs) paul thomas anderson's obviously grew up with spielberg like we all have and you can't help it you don't know this about him i mean he's like the dude he doesn't talk that much as you know (laughs) true Go and try and find, there are a few interviews with him, but, you know, he's pretty, he shuts himself out of this sort of stuff. So uh, anything uh, you got to add on the movie before we go into the cast? I don't think so. I mean, I just, when I was, once I was in, I just thought this is beautifully told and I understand, it's like the main theme of it really is everybody being who they are and that the choices everybody has to make. And that's a may, great message. May not be what is expected. So the father is an engineer who goes to work for IBM and whatnot, and basically is like a sounds like a genius who invents computing, which I'm pretty sure isn't 100 percent accurate, but that's how they make it seem like he's really on the cutting edge of the computer technology of the late 50s and 60s, right? Yep. And he needs to be. He needs to do that. So you know, it's clear he works a lot, and he keeps buying a bigger house for his family, and they keep moving from city to city. The family gets bigger and bigger. There's four children, you know, and the house is very nice. And that's his focus. He's not super emotionally connected, but he kind of looks at his family and his wife like, I don't know. Now, I wouldn't say play things. I don't want to say it that way. But like he is in awe of how artsy fartsy she is and how it brings him a lot of joy. You can see. Yes. But he also looks down at it. And I could see that. And then later in the film, she even says, you just think you just dismiss everything everybody does like a hobby or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like what you're doing is so much better. And you can get that vibe, right? Yeah. So he needs to just keep doing his thing. He shouldn't let go of his nerdy ambitions, right? So he doesn't. And at the expense of the family, which is what the uncle brings, Judd Hirsch character comes and says, art, right? Being... The artist, which he could see in the kid that he wanted to be a filmmaker, it's going to rip everything apart because that's what it does. You will not be able to not do this or it will rip you apart or it will rip everything else apart. 
So then the mother who plays piano and she's very artistic and she's very free spirited is in one of those locked in sort of images of the 50s, 60s family, right? She cooks for the family. And I love that she doesn't do dishes, though. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, it's my favorite thing. It's not really explained. It's just, it's just she a, doesn't do it. Yeah, they have a paper tablecloth on the table every time they eat. Everybody's eating with paper plates, paper and plastic, silver, even paper cups. And when the meal's over, she just tells everybody, grab that corner, grab that corner. And they bundle it all up. And dump it. And throw it in the trash. And I'm like, there had to have been a thing. There had to have been women when all of that became accessible to be like, well, hell yeah. I'm not standing at the sink. For actually, an hour doing dishes. Actually, they did explain it. He said, why? why well, he said piano hands. Piano, uh, pianist fingers. I don't think that's why. I think she just, she wasn't that person, right? right. But she was wearing the facade of keeping, because he even says her when she's kind of falling apart at one point, you don't clean anymore. You don't shop anymore. You don't cook anymore. Like that was what was defining her, but that's not her. And ultimately she has to make the decision to like break the family rip it apart in order to be who she is. And then the son has to tell the dad, I don't want to go to college. You know, I feel like that's the overriding theme. And they do it successfully, which, like you said, I think that's a good theme. And they literally, the mother literally buys, she's so free-spirited, she one day just buys a (laughs) monkey as a pet. And you found out about Steven Spielberg's mom. That she bought a monkey as a pet. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Let's go on to the cast. Michelle Williams as Mitzi Fableman, the mother. What did you think? Uh, Awesome. She's just, I could just watch her do anything all the time. (laughs) Yes, she was really not, you know, sometimes she's being Michelle Williams. She clearly wasn't in this movie. She, oh no. Even like she, when she was just sat there saying nothing, it was like she was in in somebody else's body. Like it was, and she was very broken hearted. Like all the time, like understanding this woman and I felt like anyway, I mean, that's how it came across. So that's a good thing. I mean, you've got uh, when you're making a movie like this, you've got a good uh, reference point when you've got the son of the person (laughs) you're supposed to be playing and you can just ask, what what was she like? You know? Yeah, but I don't know if that's necessarily how it I just mean like she embodied this whole idea of a woman who was sort of doing what was more expected of her than what she truly wanted to do, separate from it being his mother. You know what I mean? Just the spirit of that person. We've got Gabrielle LaBelle as Sammy Fableman. He's essentially Steven Spielberg in his uh, younger days. <laughs> what did you think of him? Oh, that was really good. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot to do. Heavy lifting, I would call it. A lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. I was... uh, not literally, if everyone's trying... Not literally. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's... Got a lot of range. He has of to emotion. carry that camera around. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> emotionally, he has to be alone a lot with his reactions. Yes, and the moments when he's confronting people, I feel like are less. I mean, they're super powerful, but the moments when he's having to absorb, just observing things and thinking about things, and there's a range there of how he's reacting. I, I just felt like he was also very watchable. Yeah, not somebody I w- was familiar with either, so I'm, I'm a fan. Paul Dano, who I'm a fan of anyway. He's you a, are. He's from There Will Be Blood. Amazing. I drink your milkshake. I drink it down. I mean, I he mean, doesn't say that. No. The other guy says it to He him. was the preacher guy, but he was awesome. He was, in, he was crazy. Now, he plays Bert Fableman, the dad, here. What did you think? 
Uh, he was awesome. He's so subtle, isn't he, with his acting? I like it. Yes. I feel like he was making the effort to be a soft-spoken person. Yeah. And that can't be easy. Uh, I find it irritating to be with soft-spoken people. No offense to all you soft-spoken people in the world who I probably love. But I felt like he was reining a lot in, though, like to did. be this guy. It was as if he had an internal thing to hold back. And I've, I, again, he's very watchable. Like I, There was no one coming into any screen, even the jerk boys who came in later, you know, the bullies at school, which yeah. we always have. Everyone was, my eyes opened wide to be like, oh, okay. Who's this and what are they doing, right? You know, I'm not a Seth Rogen, humongous fan. However, I didn't have a problem with Seth. Either. Talking of Seth Rogen, <laughs> he plays Benny Lowry. He's um, Uncle Benny, but he's not really an uncle, is he? He's not. And <laughs> as you find out, mom likes Uncle Benny. That's the reason uncle. he's around, really. <laughs> yes, it's fascinating. I mean, it's-, it's clear from the first time you meet him, you're like, hold on a second. When they mention that he's not family. And I was like, and he kept looking, you know, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a love triangle, right? That's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. It it was pretty quick. I mean, it took a while to unfold, but, and when they said, oh, dad's got a new job, we're moving to another place and they, they're driving in the car and then the camera turns to the backseat and you're like, oh, uncle's in the car as well. Why is he going with them? It's just like an agreement. It seemed like a mum would be upset if he didn't go. So he's coming, which was an interesting arrangement. We've also got Judd Hirsch as Uncle Boris. What did you think? He's you know, nom- he's he, nominated for an Oscar for he this. He can be very actorly, like theatrical, which I think you could argue that this particular scene is very much like he's on stage, you know, uh-huh. doing death of a salesman type of situation. However, for this, because he was in the circus, this character, and he's rough as fuck, right? Pardon my language, but he's real rough and he's brash and he's scary. But what he's telling this young man is that he can see in him. You're basically you're going to be heartbroken for the rest of your life because you you need art. You need to make your movies. And I'm just telling you now, you need to remember how much it hurts all the time. But he's really rough. And but I was impacted. Including physically assaulting him, basically. Well, I mean, he squeezed his cheeks. So hard that his his face is um, like... Yeah, but I'm not sure hurting. how tough Sam is. I mean, I'm not advocating that this that the uncle, you know, squeezes your cheeks. No. But I'm just saying, Sam's not that, you know, he's right. probably not used to any anyone even touching him at all. And so he was like, ah, you know. And I think the uncle was tells him, I'm doing that on purpose so you remember... Every single time you start, basically, I think what he was saying was, if you try to convince yourself that this art thing is going to make you like happy, like overall happy, you're wrong. Yeah. You will have to do it. because You have to mix it. He even said, you're a junkie, right? And making art and being performers, that's our, that's our drug. You will have to do it. And it will not make you happy (laughs) at the same time. So I felt like it was a really good Really yeah, good he, was al- he was also saying, like, don't forget about your family. Your family are, like, important. I don't think that's also what he was saying. Thing. He was saying, you are going to neglect your family because that's how this works. And it's going to rip you apart. And that comes back to ha- haunt Dad later on when he's in his apartment on his own. And he gets a letter. Um, Dad's in his apartment on his own. His job is basically, like, that's all yeah, he's got see, that's what. Yeah, like, the dad has to be the nerdy the genius because he can't 
compromise. He, he has to be that. So whatever yep. is subtracted from that, he, he just gets to keep that. He, he might not be happy. Right. So he mm. has to be the IBM guy with the genius ideas and make all the money. But now he's alone. Yeah. Basically, the Judd Hirsch scene all comes around at the end. It does. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. I, I was on board with that. And my hero, David Lynch, plays <laughs> director John Ford here. Let's back up a little bit. Why would David Lynch be your hero? Is that a bit strong? He's my hero. He's um, made the best TV show I've ever seen. He made some of the best movies I've ever seen. I mean, I'd have to have He's David got the Lynch. Best in, hair. I'd have to have David Lynch in this room to argue why Bob's Burgers is better than Twin Peaks. But hey, I'll let you just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> best hair I've ever seen, especially for an old geezer. He's very funny. I love the way he um, delivers this part as well. It's it's almost like he is playing the guy he plays in Twin Peaks. You know what? Where mm. he can't hear properly and he talks very very loud. That's so in a, this movie, he plays the um, the film director John Ford. Yes. Who um, is uh, you know people would say the word legendary, but I'm guessing that if we uh, dug very deep in the lives of many of these legendary Hollywood men that we all wouldn't love what we find. And so let's just leave it at his films were very popular. Yeah. And artsy in a way that wasn't considered artsy yet. And Spielberg was very influenced by it. Yeah. So it's, it's, That's fair. It's like a really good like uh, bookend on the end of the movie because it comes out of nowhere and it's I found it very, very funny. Directed by Steven Spielberg, he directed the movie Jaws and a few others. Well, that little one. Jaws. Yeah. What do you think of uh, his directing here? <laughs> I mean, you can't really fault it, can you? Jesus. Um, I don't know if you can't fault it. There are moments when the spinning was a bit much, but I understood what he was going for because he was going around the boy as he's discovering the mother's relationship in these film clips. And he just kept going around and around. I'm like, what is this fucking Supergirl on the CW? Because they did it all the time. I'm like, Steven. Give us a break, right? So that was irritating. See, I felt that it was more of a, that's how he felt in those moments. I understand about using things like mm -hmm. that as a tool to evoke emotion. However, after you've gone around the person once and then a half to get back to the point of view where you see what they're seeing, like we're talking logistics here. Okay, I get it. It's confusing. I'm in a spin. I'm weirded out. Now let's calm the fuck down. <laughs> no spinning. And then the rest of it's it's pretty functional when you think about Steven Spielberg. It's There's quite not, pretty though, I thought. It is pretty, but is that is that directing or is that That's his cinematographer, yeah. yeah. Who he's worked with for years, yeah. He, and he, it's pretty awesome looking, some of it. It is. Know? The beach is just gorgeous too. Like the yeah. shots are like, you know, I bet somebody wishes they'd make, oh, we haven't had a beach, what's it called? The bouncy beach movies, have we, in the... In no, our 21st century. it's not a thing anymore, is it? Doesn't seem like it. But no. somebody could make a really interesting one. I think they've done some horror movies that are like, you know. Surf Beach. That kind yes. Of thing. Oh, that one from the 50s that we saw the other day that was terrible. Yes. Yeah, well, that one was bad, wasn't it? We've uh, found a TV channel called Scream Factory TV. And uh, it shows old horror and newish horror, but like kind of B-movie horror. And there's some funny... <laughs> and entertaining things on there. There are. I can sit and just watch it and I don't want to turn it off. It's so fun. Movie reviews on IMDb for this movie that have one star. The people who really hate the Fablemans. <laughs> Let's see what they have to say. Yeah, because they're so important. All right. The first person says, 
Another back-slapping self-documentary drama. Very flat scenes, very boring and slow. What a snooze fest. Hmm. I mean, okay. Yep. Uh, the next one says, should be called The Bormans. Bormans. It's the most disappointing movie I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable that a great director could make such a unbelievable movie. It would easily be magnificent about the love of film, but it isn't. It's not interesting at all. <laughs> and the screenplay is weak. Your voice is <laughs> hilarious. I mean, that's how I hear those people. And then finally... Do you think they're saying the words as they're tippity-typing on their phone or on the thing, like yes. saying it like, I think the Steven Spielberg is... <laughs> yes. And the last guy says... So this movie was trying to be a movie that it wasn't. I think it was better than Whiplash, but not as good as Blade Runner 2049. One star. Why is he comparing it to, like, <laughs> movies that have no connection to anything to do with this? Why do these people say anything? Yes. Is the question. Get out of here. No, no. Have your opinion, but why are you saying... what? <laughs> what, what is your motivation, like, for real? Uh, we watched the streaming version, so we didn't see any extras, but when it comes out on Blu-ray soon, uh, you will be able to see some extras around Oscar time. So I'm going to give this movie a score. I'm going to give The Fablemans a 9 out of 10. Goodness. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I would watch it again. I'm going to give it an 8. Nice. So Thanks. you, are, you Thanks, have so. got taste. <laughs> <laughs> I give it an eight, but then I give it a nine when David Lynch turned up. That's <laughs> I am what, not surprised. <laughs> cherry on the top. So thank you to Universal. Next week, we're looking at the movie Bones and All. Remember the uh, movie Suspiria, Sid Talk? Yes, I do. This is a movie by that guy. So that guy, okay. Be prepared. Bones and All. I mean, I liked Suspiria. It's yeah. very weird. Uh, well, this could possibly go that way too. Movie recommendations. I'm going, going with the Steven Spielberg tip. I'm going to give you Jaws and E.T. They're my favorite Spielberg movies. But then I'm also going to give you a third one. There Will Be Blood, Paul D Dano. It's my you know, favorite movie with him in it. And it's okay. Paul Thomas Anderson. And I'm going back to the early uh, part of this millennium. Back in the early 2000s. We're in 2003. And I even had to double check this to see if I was correct. But The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, it's all science fiction as well. For 2023, we're going all science fiction, all early, early 2000s. All science fiction, all the time. Because <laughs> I love it. And I had to double check that The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions both came out in 2003. Yes, which is, is unusual. Yeah. One was in May, one's in November. Then we move on to 2004 with... Alien versus Predator, and before anyone gets all pissy about it, I don't care. I just like Alien and Predator, and it's just like zombies. I will watch it and can I say the problem it. I have with that movie? Oh, you can, but I don't care what it is. It's too dark. You can't see anything. Oh, that is true. Uh, yes, physically. It's literally like like that Game of Thrones episode. Yeah. It's like, what? Huh? Yeah, know? they're just taking the piss, these people <laughs> who think they're trying to be artsy-fartsy. Or maybe they don't technically know how to use light. But I'm not a filmmaker, so I'm not judging. But yeah, you're right. And then we have Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which Excellent. is a bit of a mind bender. I loved it as well. And one of my favorite superhero. Is he a superhero? He is. Hellboy. 
the original first Hellboy, not the new Hellboy. Sorry. Definitely not the new Sorry, one. Hopper, but the the uh, Beauty and the Beast Hellboy. That yes. one. <laughs> I really enjoyed it because, like with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, there were people in there that I've never heard of. I don't read comics, and, you know, so they were all interesting to me. Yeah, there was two of those Hellboy movies, and actually both were mm-hmm. good. Uh, but then there was the new one with Hopper, which was not as good. I mean, it was is what it is. But if they had never made the other one, then I wouldn't know to compare. And so I Correct. try not to. But yeah, I prefer Beauty and the Beast, uh, Hellboy. All right. So a scully stuff. I've been playing a game called Chained Echoes that you have not seen. So you will have no input. So I'll have to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well. <laughs> it's a 2D old school RPG. It's on the PlayStation 5. That's where I'm playing it. And it was like a Kickstarter project. Like somebody wanted to make like a RPG that was from like the 80s, but make a new version of that, but the same kind of graphics. It's not a modern game, as you would know. It's like a 16-bit RPG. You know, people are from above, turn-based combat, that kind of thing. I love a bit of turn-based combat, Sid Talk. I know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's just really I mean, really you don't fun. love it in real life because I've tried and you're not into it. I like the strategy of it. Correct. <laughs> so this game's called Chained Echoes, and uh, it was a Kickstarter, but now it's actually uh, finally coming out as a retail game. It's like the old RPGs that you played on the Sega Genesis or the Super Nintendo, and uh, like the original Final Fantasies, if you can think of that, like number one and two. It's that yeah. kind of thing. You've got a little party of guys... You're going around, you're uncovering the mystery of the world, and you're doing turn-based combat along the way, random encounters. Some people don't like that stuff because you walk along and then randomly, like, there's an encounter. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Most of the time there is. You've got to do a lot of fighting, basically, to level up your characters. Cool graphics because they're high definition, but also still keeping the, you know, look of the stuff from the 80s. Well... I would say early 90s, not 80s. So uh, it's called Chained Echoes. It's quite long. It's, I think I've been told it's like 40 to 50 hours. I'm not at the end yet. I'm not even five hours in. So uh, it's called Chained Echoes. It's on the Switch. It's on the PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, PC. You can get it everywhere. I also wanted to mention this is not a game. Well, it is a game. Duh. The Last of Us. But we're watching the TV series on HBO, and uh, I'm a gamer who's played The Last of Us. Sid Talk's not a gamer who has watched me play The Last of Us. How do you like the TV show? It's a very niche group that you're asking. (laughs) (laughs) So we surveyed all the wives of all the husbands, or partners of all the partners, who have played the game. You literally literally sat and watched me play both Last of Us games start to finish. You never missed a second. I did. So, and that's unusual for you. So you must have liked the story of the games. Yeah, there's a few games I've watched you play all yeah. the way through, but so it has to be pretty specific. How do you feel about the TV show, which we've watched the second two episodes we've watched? I mean, it's compelling. I The people make it really good. It's got a little bit of broodiness about it. Um, you know me, I'm also a zombie person, and I know we're not using the word zombie because they are infected with a fungus that takes over their brain and makes them into these like spore thingies, but it's a zombie. Come on. They were dead and now they're alive. Yes. <laughs> they're reanimated by whatever mechanism that anyone wants to write or make up. That's what we're talking about. So I'm into that. 
and into a dystopian world, like a post disaster society falling apart situation. And we're going 20 years into the future, which I do like reaching, you know, I like to imagine and see what other people imagine. If a city is mostly empty of people, what would, what would be the deal? And in the game, you get a real sense of it, but it's a game, right? So they can do anything. They can have buildings falling over and they can have, you know, malls full of water and you, you go along with it because it's animated and whatever. And this one in the show, they're doing that also. And so it gives you more of a like, ew, moldy yeah. and gross and terrible. And the building that's fallen over is has fallen over. And so I, I'm watching for like this broken world vibe and, um, they really deliver in that. Yeah. Because I said to you, one thing, we're in the unique position, I think, in the whole of the world, to have watched all of The Walking Dead, like everything that is available, right? Mm, including watching, I watched you play those games as I well. I feel like it's only me and you that's ever done that. Most people <laughs> gave up, right? <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think so, a lot of people have done that. So I was looking at The Last of Us, and they were just walking from one place to another, and I was like, if this was The Walking Dead, it looked like they were just walking through a park. <laughs> this looks like things went to shit. But in Walking Dead, it looks like they're going around the back of, I don't know, like a shop or something? Or it I was mean, never like really revealed how big the... Well, it actually was in The Walking Dead at the beginning of the series. When they very first started making it and they had more money or something. They had like a big, huge... Remember with the tank in the middle of the city and all that? Yeah, but if you really watch it close, I bet it doesn't seem as big as that. Yeah, Last of Us looks like they really made an effort to make it feel... Well, we've come a long way, so we have to be fair that the technology for making a backdrop, essentially a digital backdrop of a city, is way better than it was 11 yeah. years ago. So I'll give that, but I think Walking Dead just wasn't focused on the vibe of the world so much as the soap opera of the zombie fighting people. So. One thing I really like in The Last of Us is uh, there's they throw in these extra little, because I know the story because I've played the game, so do you. But there's these things, and in this week's one, the thing at the beginning where they bring the lady to see what's up. Mm -hmm. There's like, And they do it at the beginning of episode one, two, with like a little talk show about... What's about to happen. Yeah. So they have a talk show and they have a guest who's like trying to tell everybody to be very afraid of fungus because yeah. it basically runs the world and that it could be the downfall of humanity. And then that's what happens. And then the uh, then we have a lady who, because the world is now like, oh God, we're fucked. We need someone who can tell us how to fix it. So they find this lady who studies mycology. Is that what it's called? Yep. That's it. Which is the study of fungus. So you bring her in. She's the, the person who knows the most about it in the whole world. So there's a spoiler coming up, I feel, because it yeah. was very impactful when she said what she said. So you bring her in, don't you? you you're like, we, we got to fix this. Get her. And she comes in. And then what? Basically, they kidnapped her. So they bring her in. They show her what's up. She didn't know what was happening. This is like the first day of, you know, shit going down or whatever, or first week. And she's like, just blow up the whole bomb everything. And I want to go home to my family because she's just like, there's no escape. Yeah, not in a joking way. <laughs> no. In a, I am I'm actually traumatized by... <laughs> yes, this is it. This is the end. This is the end of the world. I know. I know more than anyone. And I'm telling you now, we're done. Just so good. So good. Yeah, it was very powerful. So The Last of Us is on HBO. Uh, episode three will be this weekend. So watch it. 
<laughs> What's for dinner? Uh, you have determined in your infinite wisdom that it will be the Impossible Whopper. I haven't had one for, I feel like, a long time. And it's been a while. And they kind of give me heartburn, just putting that out there. So I will take you, uh, heartburn could, medicine ahead of time. Oh, you could take an alternative. Oh, I can. I can get anything I want because Correct. I'm the one driving. So I could go to the Taco Bells. I could go to. I mean, Jimmy John Subway. I mean, to be fair, thinking about it, I think a Subway sounds even better. <laughs> subway is better. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've changed. Change we've it. Turn it around. Change We're it. We're having Subway. All right. And what is your advice? And let's get out of it. Um, it's not advice. It's just another one of my little short series here called "What Is Wrong with Me." Oh, is it a short series, you say? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. <laughs> ah, that was funny. Uh, yeah. I'm going to add that to the list <laughs> of something in the future. It's, nice. It's relatively... <laughs> it's as much as I want to reveal to myself about myself, but what is wrong with me? Because I observe people, right? I just do that. I'm like, I'm not a people lover, so I observe the behaviors that I despise. <laughs> And appreciate, but I observe even in you, this thing of like an immediate response of, uh, oh, I'll just suffer instead of do the thing that makes me not suffer in the immediate second or moment or whatever, instead of making things better. Now, I don't know how else to describe this. Now, sometimes suffering is inevitable, right? Pain and suffering from illness or death or accidents or trauma. That's that's not something you just go, oh, I'm not. I don't want to suffer, so I'm not going to. I'm talking about like, if I said to you right now, like you say, you want an Impossible Whopper. And then I say, if I said, oh, I want Subway. And you go, oh, that's fine. We'll have Subway. I'm like, no, you don't need to suffer and give up your Whopper. No, no. You, If you were like, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. I'll go ahead and have Subway with you. Now, we know that you love Subway. But if it was like a thing you didn't love as much, but you're willing to like suffer because you're like, well, it's more convenient for you since you're going to get it. Yeah. I don't vibe on that very well. I maybe I'm just the most selfish person you've ever met, but I don't think like that. I will give up things for people that I love. I will. I don't consider that suffering, but that immediate thing where, okay, okay. If, if it's easier for everybody, then I'll, I'll just, I'll do the shitty thing that I don't want to do because, well, it just make everything easier for everybody. Yeah. That's not me. Just if you know me in real life and you ever are in that situation and you see my face contorting, you will know what's about to happen. I will either be removing myself from the situation and go do the thing I want, or I will talk everyone in to doing what I want. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be the sufferer in this situation. I sound terrible, but that's fine. So that, what's wrong with me? Why, why is that? And uh, that's a continuing series. Any diagnosis would be helpful. <laughs> So ascully.com is the website you can catch this podcast from. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm called Ascully. You're called Sid Talk. You can find us on there. We've also got a Facebook group for After the Show Movie Podcast. Just search for it. We've also got anchor.fm slash after the show. That's where the podcast lives. Or just type in ascully.com. It'll send you there. We're on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that podcasts are available. Email feedback to me, ascully at ascully.com. Do not email Sid Talk. She doesn't want any emails ever. And stay classy, Mr. Steven Spielberg. I'm sure this is not his last movie. We've got more to come. 
I thought he was going to retire some time ago, but then he didn't. Just like all those guys. Yeah. Uh, And I'm going to say, think for yourself. Someone is definitely doing it for you. 